Well, Father, like um, Peter said, we have no one in heaven but you, and earth has nothing we desire beside you. Or I guess the psalmist said it, but Peter kind of quoted it. And um, like, like, where are we going to go? We don't have anybody else but you. So we pray that uh, you would help us to return to you day by day and hour by hour and to find ourselves in you and let the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of your face. So let your face shine on us, Lord, and give us strength when suffering, help and hope when in trouble, and power to enjoy you when we're anxious. Amen. So anxiety is a common human experience. While some Christians have more anxiety than others, we all experience it sometimes. Raise your hand if you've already been anxious this morning. I have about this sermon. Raise your hand if you went through the whole week without being anxious. One. Great. So some people experience it more than others, but it is a common experience. And no temptation has befallen any of us except what's common to every Christian. So what is the opposite of anxiety? Shoot up your hand. Non-anxiety. Excellent technical answer. Kyle. Peace. So Kyle says peace is the opposite of anxiety. Morgan says certainty is the opposite of anxiety. Who said that? Caleb said, faith is the opposite of anxiety. Nathan said it. Let's try though. <laughs> what else? God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Holy Spirit. Um, trust is the opposite of anxiety. Rest is the opposite of anxiety. There are many opposites to anxiety. The reason for this is that there are many causes of anxiety. So we'll explore some of these in a few minutes. But first, it's important for us to know that anxiety is not necessarily a sin. It's a temptation, it's a trouble, it's a burden, but it's not necessarily a sin. It is an experience that has a cause. We don't want anxiety. But God does not condemn us for being anxious. Praise God. Instead, he comes close and helps us when we're anxious. So in Luke chapter 10, if you guys know well the story of um, Jesus when he and his disciples went to the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples go to this town. They're welcomed into Martha's home, and she has a sister named Mary. Martha welcomes him into her home and was distracted with much serving. So pause. Okay. You're like at home one day, and um, this crowd comes up your street, and you realize like Jesus is in it, and his, his apostles are there, and you drop everything, and you swing wide your door, and you're like, do you guys want to come in for lunch? And like... So what are you going to do? Are you just going to like sit there and gawk at him? Maybe. But Martha didn't. She was like the super hospitable lady, and she dropped everything, welcomed um, at least 13 people, but more likely a small crowd of people into and maybe around her house. And she gave, him like, gave them like the best hospitality she could. The Bible describes it this way. Martha was distracted with much serving. Like, I'm not going to... Does anybody fault her for that? Like, that was wonderfully hospitable. Her sister Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Martha went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. It's an honest request. Like, you know, God is in my house for, you know, the first or maybe only time ever, and he might not be here long. I want to serve him the best lunch I can, you know, make sure they have, you know, water and, you know, and I'm left all alone to do this. That's an incredible amount of stress. Like, think about that. Because she probably discerned who he was, at least to some degree. 
So think about like the, the weight of the stress on her as she's trying to serve this meal quickly. So the Lord answers her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. It's not lunch. Like all the disciples are hungry and thirsty probably. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think that's a hard passage to get. So Jesus is like, Martha, I'd rather you sat at my feet listening to my teaching and all of us go hungry in your house. When there's like this culture we're living in where hospitality is like the thing. Like if you're, if you're not hospitable, it's like a horrible like insult. Or if you refuse somebody the opportunity to be hospitable to you, you've, you've insulted them in like a deep way. And he's saying, I'd rather you just, just be quiet and get real still, like quiet your soul and just sit here and I can download my heart into, into yours. So most of the time, I wouldn't normally believe that having, a, having time with the Lord, like alone or with his disciples, is more important than something like, like feeding his disciples lunch when they're hungry. I think that's a hard passage to get. But that's what Jesus said, interestingly enough. And that's instructive for us. So why do we get anxious? Why did Martha get anxious? Shoot up your hand, shout it out. She was anxious because... Competing goals, like I want to please the Lord, but I also want to be a good hostess. Yeah, she was definitely doing something good, but Jesus pointed out to her that it wasn't the most, the only most important thing. Why else do we get anxious? We're finite. We're finite. Like she could have just, you know, conjure up all this food, like Jesus, you know, snap his fingers a lot of the time, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's too much work. Morgan says, we're finite. There's a lot to do. Martha can't just make food appear. She only has two hands to work with. There's a limited amount of time and resources and a lot of work to get done. How about what Josiah said last week? Uh, He spoke on uh, time management, right? It's hard to manage our time, and sometimes there's either too much work and we can't get it all done, so we've got to figure out how to choose the best things and spend time with the Lord. Or, uh, or we don't manage our time well, and then we're anxious because of that. I experience this every week. It's very hard. Sydney. Maybe we feel we're not equal to the task. Yeah, that's definitely a cause of anxiety. John. We don't trust in God's sovereignty. So I'm going to put that under the category of ignorance. So ignorance of, and then we want to put several things under that. Ignorance of the sovereignty of God. So think back to what we've been uh, going through in our study of Daniel. Um, you know, kind of the, the main point is God is sovereign. He, he loves his people. He's doing something good, even though it's everything around us look, most everything around us looks pretty bad. We can trust that God is powerful enough to both save our lives, take care of us, and give our children a future in God, and bring about the kingdom that he's promised in the person of the king who's coming, but for Daniel, wasn't there yet. So, so not keeping in mind or ignorance of the sovereignty of God. Ignorance of what else? What else do we forget about God? Hey, is sovereignty or power or control of everything? What else? His goodness. Ignorance of God's goodness or forgetting his goodness. We do this all the time, right? It took me years after I came to Christ before I really believed that God is good all the time and like got that in my soul. And for a lot of us, we're somewhere in that process. But God will take you there because he is good. 
So what's something else that's related to God's goodness? His love. Let's say ignorance of the fatherly love of God. Yeah. So often we get stuck in this, I'm going to call it atheistic way of Christian thinking, where we think God is somebody who is very different than who God really is. So we think God is um, like a lot like the, the idol, the God of, uh, of uh, the Muslim faith, right? So what's that false God like? Who knows something about Islam? Distant? Vindictive. Unknowable, ungracious, unloving, dead, right? It's all about dead works, isn't it? It's all about hoping but never being sure that God will be good enough to be good to you in the way that you need. But our God is gracious, and he's able to supply to us all of the grace and the goodness that we need. And if you remember um, in Zechariah chapter 3, if anybody remembers that passage well, it's so good. Um, uh, Zechariah has a vision of the high priest, and he's clothed in filthy garments. And, and the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus himself, comes near to him and orders that the filthy garments be taken off and clean vestments be given to him. And what's really happening is that guy in the filthy garments represents all of us as a high priest. He represents the people. And Jesus is giving him his own holy garments, and he is taking the shame and hanging naked on the cross uh, for him. And so God is able to supply to us the righteousness that, let's face it, we just don't have. You know, God sanctifies us, praise the Lord. But we never have enough. Um, But we always have enough in him. So we get anxious because of responsibilities, competing goals. We're finite, time management, that goes together. Feeling incompetent, ignorance of God's sovereignty, God's goodness, and God's fatherly love. We're, we're too busy. Uh, that would, we kind of covered that one already. Um, what about coveting and not getting? So that's something I've experienced, you know, in various ways, and the rich young ruler did. In fact, he was a pretty righteous guy, but, you know, Jesus is like, well, what about the 10th commandment? And the guy's like, hmm. I can't let go of that. And so he turns away from the Lord sad. And he never, he never becomes a disciple because he can't let go of coveting. He just had to have it. But we get anxious whether we covet and don't get or whether we covet and get. It really still leads to the same kind of anxiety, doesn't it? I think we've all experienced that or been tempted in those ways. What about unforgiveness? You remember the parable where Jesus said, okay, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart who sins against you, then you'll be like this guy that gets thrown in prison and the jailers torture him. As a Christian, that should make you panic. It does me. I'm like... Oh no, like, God help me forgive everybody again today, because oftentimes we have to forgive the same people over and over. You know, Peter's like, Lord, Pharisees are telling us we should forgive people three times. How many times should I forgive people? Seven? (laughs) You know, making some brownie points there with Jesus, and he's like, I tell you, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You know, and of course the meaning of that is, an infinite number. There's no end. So, so if God will forgive me like I forgive those who have sinned against me, and if I don't forgive completely and again and again, then I'm going to suffer. Even though I'm a Christian, I'm going to experience anxiety because I haven't forgiven. Raise your hand if you've, that really strikes true for you. It does for me. You know, especially if you've been really, like, deeply wounded. And most of us have been, and it may immediately come to mind. So, 
more forgiveness may be needed. Praise the Lord. But we should forgive as the Lord forgave us. And there's a reward to that. The reward is we'll experience uh, a release from the torturing anxiety of being the one who was wounded but didn't forgive. The Christian faith is very strange. But that's how it works. What about unwillingness? This is probably the biggest one for me in the last 37 and a half years. Um, I think the greatest cause of my anxiety in the past personally has been unwillingness to completely give like my heart and soul to the Lord with no reservation. I spent probably, I guess, half my Christian life um, where at any given moment, I knew that there was something the Holy Spirit would have me give up to him or leave at the foot of the cross or leave behind and follow him more completely um, instead of holding back. And I was always aware of it, but I quenched the spirit. And so because of that, I experienced a great deal of anxiety. And maybe you're living there too. Unfortunately, I probably spent 15 years there, I guess. Hmm. But that wasn't God's call in my life. So praise the Lord. God is good and there's grace for that, which is pretty amazing. Hmm. That's, why, um, that's why when he teaches us to pray, one of the first things he says in that model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, or as some call it, the Disciples' Prayer, your will be done. It's like our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Like, that's like how we begin to pray. And if we don't begin to pray that way, if we're holding something back, I can guarantee you there will be some level of anxiety in your life because God wants all of you, not part of you, as I unfortunately have experienced. So, does everybody have note cards in their bulletin? You should have eight note cards. You'll need seven, and the extra one if you make a mistake. Which, if you're writing in pen... Uh, does everybody have a pen? You do? Got extras? Does everybody have a... Okay, I'm going to make a request for you, if you'd uh, oblige me just for this morning. Could you grab a, a paper Bible, like not your phone? Raise your hand if you don't have note cards or a pen or a Bible. Daniel, would you help? Thanks. They're coming. So when you're ready, please turn to Psalm 131. We're going to look at seven scripture passages and make seven note cards to keep in your pocket, or you can take a little piece of tape and roll it back on itself so, the, so it's all sticky on the outside, and you can stick this to your wall and it shouldn't damage your paint. You could put one, uh, you know, on your mirror in the bathroom or or uh, next to the sink, or you could put one on your nightstand or the wall right next to where you go to sleep so you can still see it when you're going to sleep and when you wake up. You can put them in your car. If you have one of those little screens, I hate those little screens. I always, you got to turn it off every time you start the car. You can put one over that. Um, you can put them on the back flap of your little visor, um, and then you can flip it down and read it and flip it back up. Don't do it while driving. Unless you're like really anxious. Okay. Um, has everybody found Psalm 131 already? We want to copy it onto our note cards, and we're going to take time to do that right now. I'm just going to read it um, while you start copying it. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Try to get this all in the same note card if you can. 
Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I love this one. It has been of great help to me. James writes in his letter, where there is selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Memorize this psalm and you'll have ammunition in your pocket to fight against your own overly ambitiousness, your own self-centered ambition. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. I hope I'm not distracting you while you write. (laughs) Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. That's like my go-to verse when I feel this like spiritual pride rising up in me. I love this psalm. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Okay, so we have three babies. Some of you have, well, children and babies. They all once were babies, if they aren't now. So when a baby is hungry, it does this thing where it's like usually the eyes are, its eyes are still closed and, and, and its nose might kind of wrinkle up. And, it, and you know, when his, when his or her mom is holding him, he's kind of like snorting around and going like... <laughs> And like gasping for breath and gasping for milk all at the same time. It's rather unattractive. Um, it's, it's kind of comical. It's like, um, it's like this baby is so passionate to find a source for milk that it like, it's just like totally out of control with wanting milk right now. And, all, and sometimes they snort. It's, it's kind of cute and comical and a little funny all at the same time. So that's a child who isn't weaned. A child who is weaned is way past milk. A child who's weaned is just still. His mom picks him up, and he's just happy to be held. That's what this psalm means. So my soul is often like snorting and anxious and like worried or upset about something or many things. And I, I just want something and like, I, I regularly experience this where I'm, I'm talking with my wife and she's trying to tell me something and all of a sudden this anxiety comes over me and I've just got to scratch the itch on my ankle and get a cup of water, I'm thirsty and oops, you know, I got to check my email and I'm like, wait, my wife's talking to me. I've got to calm and quiet my soul and listen to her and tell all this other stuff to shut up and be quiet, put my arms at my side, calm and quiet my soul. So anxiety will keep you from the presence of God. This psalm is a favorite of mine because it helps me to go through, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And oftentimes, honestly, I don't quite get all the way there. I get quieter, but not all the way quiet, but I I try, right? And then the point of the psalm is, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So doesn't that seem kind of like he changed the subject? So he's talking about like not being overly selfish, ambitious, selfishly ambitious, and he's talking about wanting things and then quieting his soul. So, so laying aside all those other things that he wanted or was ambitious for or was thinking about. And then he's like, hope in the Lord. He didn't really change the subject. He's saying, come away from all of these things and come to the one thing that's truly needed. So all of those things can live or die or fall apart or whatever they're going to do. And none of those things are necessary. There's only one thing that's necessary. And as a Christian, you routinely, if not daily, have to go through this gospel process of putting aside the many things and coming to the one thing, and this psalm will help take you there. Raise your hand if you didn't finish copying it down. Didn't fin- okay, 
Um, can we come back to that one? Good morning, by the way. It's Psalm 131. So we have seven verses or seven sections of verses. Let's go into number two, and we can come back to that one later if you didn't finish. No problem. Psalm 23, verse 1. Just verse 1. You can add the rest of it to it later. But I think, um, for me, it's been helpful to just think about verse 1 and then just stop right there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Stop. Please write that one down on your note card. I know the rest of the psalm because I've read it quite a few times. And uh, I hope you have or get to spend many sweet hours in this psalm. There's so much there. But for us this morning, just the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, it, I've seen it translated, because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, in, in the message paraphrase of the Bible, um, it's rendered as, uh, God my shepherd, exclamation point. I don't need a thing. So we have needs, but like in the presence of God, the things we need grow strangely dim. And that's the point here in Psalm 23, 1. So the first one was talking about ambition and selfish ambition, about wanting, and then contrasting that hope or hoping in the Lord. Like having the expectation that the Lord is able to, to do everything that needs to be done and that I'll participate in that doing. But I'm not gonna, I don't have to do it on my own strength. The Lord is here to help me. That's Psalm 131. Psalm 23, 1, the topic is needs. And then if you read down farther, protection. So another one of the things that has kept me awake at night, this is a little embarrassing because I'm a guy and I'd like to, I wish I were like a big strong guy that everybody looked at and respected just because he had big muscles and stuff, but I'm not. So I'm a skinny guy. But um, I have lain awake in my bed many times and thought, what if a bad guy breaks down our door and comes in our house? What would I do? So... Guys, can you relate with me? Have you thought this thought before? So, you know, as a, as a home care nurse, I go to hundreds of different people's houses, and I talk with them about health, right? And I can't tell you how many houses have one used old wooden baseball bat propped just behind the door. So, apparently a lot of guys think about this. I'm assuming it's the guy that put it there most, in most cases. So, what would I do? Here I am lying in my bed upstairs. I'm thinking, did I just hear a noise? I wonder if somebody is jiggling with the lock. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe I'm going to hear a crash in the back window next, you know. And I'm lying there. I've laid in my bed many times and had these thoughts, like, you know, to my own shame. Like, why am I not hoping in the Lord? Why am I so worried about this? Like, have I ever been, has my house ever been uh, burgled? Hasn't even been burgled when I wasn't home, let alone when I was home. You know, so the Lord has protected me this far. And even if he sends a bad guy into my house and I get killed, I'm in his presence forever, so... It's not exactly the end of the world. You know, he's, he's going to work things out. He's going to take care of my kids. He's going to take care of my wife. That would not be the worst thing that could happen. But I have thought, okay, I have to protect my family. That's a good thought in and of itself, but I'm one who has taken that too far. And anyway, long story short, Psalm 23.1 um, is the beginning of a psalm that uh, in verse 4 it says, For I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And that's the point of our message this morning. For your rod, that's a club that shepherds carried. It, uh, it was common for a shepherd to have like this wooden stick with like a, a, a wooden knot on the end of it. I have one actually. Uh, somebody brought me one back from Kenya and there's a, there's, a little, um, there's a little knob on the end so that you can hit like a, an attacking animal attacking the flock, for example. Um, and the, the pressure is concentrated on that one little point, and it'll like break the animal's, it'll crack the animal's skull and create a subdural hematoma, and it'll die. Anyway, I don't keep it next to my bed. 
I just got it. It's lying around somewhere. Um, so, so I'm comforted that God has a rod. And he prepares a table before me and makes a safe place for me to sit and eat in his presence, even though enemies surround me. He prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So Psalm 23, 1 is about needs and about protection and about how God meets both of those issues because he is my shepherd. Next verse, Matthew. Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. So this is a longer section, and the little heading in my Bible says, do not be anxious. So you can read the whole thing. But I like verse 33, because it gets to the heart of the matter. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, You can start copying it down now, please. The topic here, again, is needs, because Jesus is teaching his followers, like, what do we do if we're worried about clothes, you know, food, money, housing? What if I lose my job? What if, what if? What am I going to do? So this is something we all uh, experience now and then, if not daily, uh, these kinds of concerns. And Jesus speaks to it. But he's making a point about what we treasure. This verse has helped me to treasure not having everything in order in my life and all my goals being met and everything being safe and there being money in the bank account and money in the savings account and this and that and all our, everybody's got nice clothes and you know all this stuff. This verse gets at um, my needs, but it's like my real need and what I'm treasuring. If I am most treasuring in my heart the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. All these things will be added to me as well. You can take that to the bank. So what if you have loss, and what if, like Jesus says, the the moth eats the clothing, and the rust uh, corrodes your vehicle and whatnot? Um you do have a future and inheritance in the kingdom of God, here and eternally. So this one has been of great help for me. Uh, Next verse, Mark chapter 6. If you want to, you can write the reference on the back of the card, or you can go back and do that later. I've got the references if you need them later. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, please. So this is a tough passage, kind of makes you want to cry. So John the Baptist is like the Billy Graham, like the super Billy Graham of his day. So, so there hasn't been a prophet, there hasn't, God hasn't like spoken for hundreds of years. And honestly, the Bible teachers haven't been very good. You got Pharisees, you got Sadducees, you got Zealots, you know, you got the Essenes, you know, and they've all got these different philosophies about like how we're going to get the church right, so to speak, get the kingdom of God right again. And they're all wrong. Um, and their philosophies are about equivalent to the things that most of us grew up with and uh, are still kind of coming out of. So then John ba- the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's like, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And like, not just like, like the whole countryside comes down to him, but even like Roman soldiers come down to him to confess their sins and be baptized. This is like the Holy Spirit is like falling. This is John the Baptist. So fast forward to Mark chapter six. Um, Pause that thought. Jesus has sent out his 12, but he sent out other disciples that he's got. He sent out 72 disciples in, in uh, teams of two, and they've gone all over, and he's given them power to 
heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the gospel and preach that Jesus is here and repentance of sins and, and, and they just got back and the teams are giving their report and they're probably super excited and they're on this big spiritual high and they just find out that John the Baptist, the one who introduced us to Jesus, he's just been beheaded. That's what's happening in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Go ahead and copy it now. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You could just stop there, or you could finish the rest of the verse. I'd probably just stop there, I guess. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. This verse is about ministry, the busyness of the work of the ministry. The second half of the verse says, for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And if you keep on reading, you know, Jesus calls them away to this desolate place and then crowds like mob them and Jesus then ministers to them some more. And then they get in a boat and they spend all night trying to get to the other side of this uh, lake and then more people come and kind of mob them and Jesus and his disciples minister to them there. If you're involved in any kind of Christian service, and if you're not, you will be, uh, it can get busy like Martha found. And, and this verse is also about um, grieving and loss because that's happening here too in the midst of the Lord doing wonderful things. We often experience deep grief. And it was upsetting for the disciples, and they probably would have gone through the thought process, oh, so if John the Baptist is dead, then is like the kingdom of God dead? And they had to work through some of those thoughts. But Jesus was there, and then of course, when Jesus was dead, they had to work through some of those thoughts again. And, but Jesus drew near to them to help them. So I often hear the Lord speaking to me this verse because I've written it on a note card and memorized it long ago and, and I can often hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And God wants you to often do that in the midst of your busyness, even when you're going through grief. Let the Holy Spirit bring this scripture back to your remembrance and minister to you a little comfort and a little rest. You'll need it. Psalm 46, next verse. I should have said that verse is also about hope because there was a whole lot more to the kingdom of God coming. Psalm 46, a wonderful psalm. We won't read the whole thing, but you can later. I'm sure you'll want to. It's such a good one. Psalm 46, verse 10 Another voice that when I go through the process of Psalm 131 of uh, putting away the, the ambition and the wants and the kind of getting my eyes uh, a little too high and I quiet my soul, not like this snorting baby kind of lusting for its you know, next meal of milk to a wean child and I make my soul as best as I can like a wean child and I try to put my attention, put my eyes, put my hope in the Lord in those moments, I have often heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Does anybody know if this was written before the book of Daniel was written? It says, of the sons of Korah. Anybody know that? I've never looked that up, but I've, I've wondered if Daniel read this. So this psalm is about, is about turmoil in society and in government and among nations and like being very worried, afraid, and upset, and anxious because so many things are going wrong or are about to go, they look like they're about to go wrong, like everything's gonna crash. 
financially, you know, like there's going to be a war, like, and we're the ones getting attacked kind of thing. Um, and it begins, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Think of the mountains as like the highest point of the land. Therefore, think of the mountains as like the heads of government, right? Think of the land as like the place where God's people live and the sea as all the other nations or all the other peoples and all the other religions. Um, though our governmental leaders like even, even like great Christian figures be like killed by the sea or cast into the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then he changes the subject. And he's like, God is good. And God speaks and the earth melts. And then verse 10. Oh, and then... Uh, uh, verse 8, he invites people to come and behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. And verse 9, and now he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then verse 10, our verse. In that context, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth. This is good for Christians to have memorized and meditate long on when, um, when our economy is on the brink of ruin or has collapsed, when our military is weaker than the enemy's military, when our own country has succumbed to the might of another nation, when disease or pandemic or COVID is spreading through the land, this is what the Lord is speaking to us today. And in these quiet moments where he draws us away from the busyness, the grief, the anxiety, to rest with him a while alone, or most of these uh, say with other, imply or say with other Christians. Um, when we go away to be by ourselves and worship him, we hear the Lord speaking to us, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Second to last one, Ecclesiastes. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Chapter five. Chapter 5, verse 1. So we kind of hit on this in, in uh, Psalm 46.10. God intends for us to go through this process of quieting ourselves, coming away uh, and being with him so that we can discern his voice. I have heard many voices in my head saying things like, oh no, or grab the baseball bat, or what if, or, you know, worry, worry, worry. And... Uh, and when I quiet my spirit, I, I normally hear Psalm 46.10 being ministered to my soul by God in a supernatural way where I actually am quieted and my spirit is put at rest. So Ecclesiastes 5.1 is about how to draw near to the Lord and discern what he's really saying. This is a means to mediate fear in our lives. If you're afraid of, well, just about anything, and it's really eating at you, so that you're not resting in his presence or not able to rest in his presence or don't want to rest in his presence because you're, you're just too busy or consumed with the other thing. Ecclesiastes 5.1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That's, be careful. Don't be quick to speak. Be quick to listen. To draw near to listen. To draw near to listen 
is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Have you, have you been this person or have you known people who they identify as Christians, but, but they're so entangled with the world that they think they can be a Christian and, and just spout off all their own knowledge. But you discern in their spirit that they probably haven't ever even met the Lord. Have you been that person? Um, many of us have. But God is gracious. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. So what's the sacrifice of fools here? What? Their opinions. All right. What's the sacrifice of fools here? They made the same mistake that Cain made. Where he presented an offering with an improper heart motivation. Not offering what God wanted to be offered. So the sacrifices of the Lord are a, a broken and contrite spirit. Right? Yeah. What does God really want from you? That. Yeah, yeah. The sacrifice of fools is also speaking hastily. So I have been intimately acquainted with that sin. <laughs> have you? Breaking the third commandment which is not just not saying, like, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which is not just avoiding saying in surprise, oh my God, it's, it's, mis it's representing God falsely and not even know that you're falsely representing him. So all of us are very guilty of this or have been, so, but God is gracious. So we have to learn how to come near to him and wait on him in order to discern what God is really saying. And sometimes he's saying, um, just draw your attention away from those things and put your attention on my unchanging nature for a while. Or get off your, your self-condemnation and guilt and just, just let that, just, just put it down and come over here and I'm gonna put on you my garments of righteousness. And I want you to just put on a garment of praise for a while in exchange for your depression and anxiety. Just, just come here and tarry with me a while and wait and I'll speak when I'm ready. But just remain in my presence and you will become enlightened to, like what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter one for the church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the, I can't quote it all, uh, the glorious inheritance of uh, his glorious inheritance in the saints and the love of God which surpasses knowledge. Paul writes, I want you to know the love of God which surpasses knowledge, right? These are the things that we discern God saying when we draw away and, and wait in his presence long. And, and this is the call of God on your life daily. There are a lot of other things we've been called to or we've got to get done, but this is what God wants from you on a daily basis. And when you do, you'll, you'll by constant pra practice, discerning good from evil, learn to discern the voice of God. Last verse, very quickly, and then we'll close. First Peter, chapter five. And probably most of you have this memorized already. Praise God. First Peter, chapter five, verses six and seven. If you're just coming in now, if you have a bulletin, it probably has little note cards in it, and we're copying down some scripture to keep in our pockets. If you have a little pocket like that, or stick in your pocket, you can fold it in half, or tape to, tape to your wall in your bedroom, or by your bathroom mirror, for example. I like keeping these on my kitchen table. 
I like keeping a little stack of these on my nightstand. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. I always get embarrassed when I'm preaching and I forget where Peter is. This has happened like three times this year. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Did you get it? Verse 7 you probably have memorized, which says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But please write the whole verse. This is in the context of suffering and of younger people being subject to their church elders so that Satan does not devour them. All of these scriptures, hopefully you can write while I talk. All of these scriptures have one common theme, taking our attention off ourselves and our circumstances, being quiet, remembering the Lord, seeking his face, waiting for him, putting our hope in him. They all have the theme of God saying, I want to talk with you. I want to be with you. While there are many causes of anxiety, there is one way to deal with it. Being with God and supernaturally seeing things from his perspective. The solution to anxiety is found in coming quietly into the presence of God and then enjoying his presence and affection, praising him. When anxious, we come quietly to wait until we discern the Lord's voice. Then, like 1 Peter 5 says, we lay down all our burdens, we cast our anxieties on him, and wait as long as we can in his presence, seeing him, savoring him, meditating on these scriptures, being loved by him, worshiping him. If you haven't yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is probably one of the most important steps you can take in, um, in warring against anxiety. So our main point today is that God is good. He is waiting to welcome you into his presence in everlasting joy after just a little more service to him here on earth. And like Jesus, who endured suffering and shame and poured out his holy life for us, we will rise with him to immortality and peace and joy forever in his presence. Amen.